things that maybe you would think are possibly not wheelchair accessible, sometimes they can be. So uh, I've gone to like Catalonia, Spain and over the Negev Desert in Israel and went hot air ballooning. I've ridden a camel in Morocco. Experiences like that are really unique and it kind of also shows, you know, people anything is possible. You know, if you want to do something bad enough, then you usually can. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts, where I talk with experts, public figures, and interesting people about fascinating topics that meander off topic. Today, I talk with travel writer Corey Lee about what it's like to travel with mobility challenges, specifically in his case, what it's like to travel in a wheelchair since Corey has a condition called spinal muscular atrophy. This is a great perspective to hear, not just because it's more common than you might think. As Corey points out in the interview, disability travel is a $17 billion a year business, but also because travelers with mobility issues tend to blow apart the excuses many abled people have for not traveling. Corey's been to 37 countries and counting despite being in a wheelchair, and he's still in his 20s. In a sense, his example shows how any kind of travel challenge is often just a matter of planning and problem solving. Together, Corey and I talk about how he got started traveling overseas and what kinds of challenges he faces traveling in a wheelchair. We talk about online travel resources for people with mobility issues and which world cities are best equipped for wheelchair travelers. We talk about his travel adventures in places like Israel and Morocco and what it's like to be attacked by a hippo in South Africa. As a bonus, at the very end of this episode, I talk to Zachary York, who's been a Deviate listener since this podcast first started. Zachary has neurofibromatosis type 1, which means tumors grow on nerves all over his body, and he has to walk using forearm crutches. Nonetheless, he's traveled to 15 countries and lived overseas in places like Thailand and China and India, so I called him and had him share some of his experiences as well. This episode is sponsored by Airtrex, which specializes in round-the-world and multi-stop itineraries for vagabonding-style journeys. Check out their trip planning tools at airtrex.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Tortuga, which designs backpacks and backpack accessories for vagabonding journeys. Go to rolfpotts.com slash Tortuga to see a selection of their travel packs. And if you see something you like, that rolfpotts.com slash Tortuga address will automatically qualify you for 10% off the price of your order at checkout. But for now, please listen in as Corey Lee and I talk about what it's like to go vagabonding when you use a wheelchair. First off, I'm just curious... You know, obviously you have a message that in the internet age is is useful to a lot of people who might have some of the same travel challenges as you, but for but for the average listener, uh, and, and some of my listeners have mobility issues themselves, but I'm guessing most of them don't, what is the appeal of your message? What, what kind of things should they as travelers keep in mind for people who do have to travel with the wheelchair? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's really important to kind of remember, you know, that Any of us at any time could potentially become a wheelchair user or disabled in some regard. So, I mean, even if you're not disabled, you know, now and in a wheelchair, I mean, who knows what it'll be like in, you know, 50 years for you as you get older. I mean, uh, and I think so it's always kind of, you know, a good idea to really keep accessibility in mind because not only does it benefit like me now, since I do use a wheelchair currently, but Um, It also could possibly help you in the future, you know, so um, I always really try to convey that message um, whenever I'm like giving speeches or um, on the blog or um, social media or anywhere like that. So I think that, you know, 
it's definitely important to keep in mind um, the longevity of it as well. For sure, yeah. My dad just turned eighty, and he's having some friends, some high school friends, over. But you know, they're the class of nineteen fifty-seven, so a couple of them are in wheelchairs now, and it's it's something that that certainly can happen to anybody. And I'm curious, how many countries, Corey, have you been to? I've done uh, thirty-three countries and six continents so far. So yeah, still a lot more to go. <laughs> so, so that's another, I think, thing for my audience to keep in mind that you have not let the fact that you travel with a wheelchair um, stop you from visiting 33 countries. And I think there might be some people who are still dreaming about their first country and are throwing all sort of sorts of excuses in their own way. Uh, and you haven't done that. So I'm curious to know how you've enabled travel in your life. And so let's, let's rewind all the way back uh, to when you were a little kid and um, you have spinal muscular dis- muscular Atrophy. A- atrophy. Yeah, so, yeah. so what is that? What does it do? And how old were you when you discovered that, that this was going to be a factor in your life? Yeah, so spinal muscular atrophy, it is a form of muscular dystrophy. Um, and I have SMA type 2. Um, and basically, that means that my muscles are much, much weaker than the average person. So I can, um, for example, like type on a computer, but I can't really stand up. And with SMA, my muscles do um, degenerate over time. So um, I may not have the same abilities now that I will like 10 years from now, you know, I may become weaker in 10 years. So um, I mean, it is something that I constantly try to keep in mind. So I'm always trying to, you know, do as much as I can now while I'm able because who knows what it looks like, you know, 20 years from now, if I'll even be able to, you know, get on an airplane or do any of that. So I do try to stay aware of that, but um, I first was diagnosed with SMA when I was two years old, and um, it actually is um, passed down within my family. So my great, great, great um, aunts and uncles, they actually had SMA. So there were 13 children within the family, and four of them had spinal muscular atrophy and were wheelchair users. Uh, but they also, you know, didn't really let it stop them. And the four wheelchair users, they actually formed a gospel singing group called the Wheelchair Singers. And they were actually quite famous in the southern United States. They toured around doing concerts. And so I think, you know, that's kind of where I got some of the drive that I have to really, you know, get out there into the public and make try to make a difference because they were doing it before me. Um, and sadly, you know, I never got to meet them, uh, but I do have their record. And I mean, it's really like a blast from the past and a lot of fun to listen to it every now and then. And just kind of, you know, learn about their life story and how they, you know, got started. And they were really, you know, the first people in the area um, in the southeast or even in the southern U.S. to really, you know, have a disability and really be out there doing something Um really remarkable and, uh, you know, releasing albums and touring and things like that. So yeah, it's a pretty remarkable story. I I love that detail because it it just goes to show that anything can inspire you to travel. I don't know how you are as a singer, but it's funny that (laughs) the specificity of their talent made you search for your own talents and dreams in a completely different area. And that's just as legitimate, I think. So I'm curious, like, how old are you now? And how old were you when you decided that Dang it, you were gonna you're gonna emphasize travel and, and, and dream about travel and make it happen. Yeah, well I'm twenty-nine now. Um and my mom actually when I was growing up, she was a school teacher, so she would have a few months off 
every summer for us to kind of explore domestically within the U.S. So we would go to places like New York and Disney World and Washington, D.C., all along mostly the East Coast until I was like 15 years old. And then we um, actually went on a cruise to the Bahamas. And that was kind of the first time that I got to see, you know, like a, a different culture and try new foods and um, just kind of experience a different way of life. And that really, really sparked the travel bug inside me and made me want to go much, much further because I thought, you know, if the Bahamas is, you know, really not that far away from the southeastern U.S. and it can be this amazing that what are places like India like or Australia or Africa? I mean, and so I think that's where it was born. Was there was there a certain moment in the Bahamas where where the light bulb flicked on for you, or was it just a, a holistic experience? I mean, was there was there one thing that you had that suddenly you were doing that you hadn't dreamed of doing, and you thought I could do this a lot, or what was the thought process there? Yeah, so there actually was a moment. I was um, in Nassau going through the straw market, and I met this lady. She was like eighty years old and a local, just selling like homemade like woven handbags and like different little products that she had made and we got to talking with her and um it was really just you know a special moment for me to you know meet a local like her and kind of hear her story and you know why she's selling and what she does and you know realize that not everyone you know lives in the U.S. and gets all of the luxuries that I think I was used to having at that age um, and so that's kind of what it was for me that made me want to go much further. And and so where did you go from there? Where did you go from this suddenly inspired kid in the Bahamas? And obviously now we know you've been to 33 countries, but what was the process and what were the challenges that you found uh, given that, that a wheelchair is part of the way you travel? Yeah, so really the biggest challenge for me is always flying um, in an airplane. And I think that, you know, I always, whenever I'm getting on a plane, I have to worry about, you know, will the wheelchair make it to the destination without being damaged because I can't stay in the wheelchair during the flight. Um, and so it goes where the luggage goes in the cargo area. And um, I mean, sometimes it's damaged. That's a big worry. And then I really always have to start researching for trips like six to 12 months in advance, um, which is a lot more time than most people would need. Um just to kind of figure out, you know, is the accessible transportation within the city going to be accessible or which hotel has the best accessibility and which attractions can I go to? So there's definitely a lot of planning that goes into any trip, whether it's, you know, just to Florida or whether it's, you know, much, much further around the world. So um, planning is a big part of it. So your your mom took you to uh, the Bahamas uh, on her summer uh, vacation, and then where was where was the next international destination you went to, and why did you choose that one specifically? Yeah, so the next one was to Germany, um, and I had taken a few years of German in high school, and then so for my high school graduation gift, um, she took me to Germany, and that was my first time also in Europe, and it was a really a big learning experience. So actually on my first night in Europe, we plugged my, I use a powered wheelchair, so we do have to charge it every night. And we plugged it into the wall to charge with an adapter and a converter. And it actually blew up the charger did and like sparks were flying and it was a whole debacle. But uh, 
we uh, found a wheelchair repair shop the next day and were able to buy a new charger. Um, but that was kind of the first time, you know, that we realized kind of how difficult traveling was going to be um, as a wheelchair user and how much we really had to plan for. So that was definitely a good learning experience. And uh, I think like with every trip, even now today, I still learn something new every time that I travel somewhere. That's great. And it feels like maybe you're a little lucky. I know this is a stereotype, but the Germans are, are sort of known for being very detail-oriented and, and organized. So I'm not surprised that it didn't take you too long to find a, a wheelchair r- repair shop there. Um, yes. <laughs> so when you're planning trips, now you've come a long way since those first trips to the Bahamas in Germany, um, and you've learned a lot and you've shared a lot of that, that information. But um, what kind of, when you're planning, when you're taking this six to nine months to plan a trip, What's the short list of things that you're looking for that an, an average traveler might not have to consider? Yeah, so whenever I start planning a trip, kind of the first thing that I research before I even like look at flights or attractions or anything like that is transportation within the city. So do they have wheelchair-accessible taxis? Is the metro-accessible uh, public transportation like buses? Because, you know, if there's not, then I'm going to be stuck um, at the airport once I get there and not really be able to get around or ever leave the hotel. And so that's kind of the crucial deciding factor as to whether I travel somewhere or don't go there and, you know, choose a different destination instead. So I would say that transportation is definitely the first thing. And then after that, I can kind of start looking up, you know, like hotels and attractions and things that you know, normal able-bodied travelers would look up. Are, are there any sites out there that aggregate um, travel options through the lens of people with mobility issues? Uh, there are quite a few. Um, so one of the ones that I always use before any trip is called the Accessible Travel Club. And it's on Facebook. It's just a Facebook group. And you can go in there. There's like 8,500 members um, in the group and if I'm, you know, looking into any destination, I can kind of post in there. And someone in the group has probably been there 99% of the time. So it's a really good place just to, you know, connect with other wheelchair users and kind of get their input. And uh, it's really, really valuable. But aside from that, um, there are also places like Lonely Planet. They've uh, published a few accessible guidebooks within the past few years. So they did one on Melbourne, Australia. They've done one on Rio de Janeiro. Um, and they've done an accessible travel resources book. So it has, it lists like every accessible tour company around the world. Um, so it's tremendously valuable and something that I always refer to whenever I'm looking into going somewhere. Well, given all your research, you probably know quite a bit. So I'm curious for someone who might have mobility issues, or maybe they want to travel with a family member who has mobility issues. What are some great places like countries and destinations to start? What, which destinations are, are really smart and f- have a lot of forethought when it comes to uh, people who might be traveling in something like a wheelchair? Yeah, so I mean, I think it, um, there are a lot of really, really good destinations, but it just kind of depends on what area of the world you're wanting to go to. I mean, here in the USA, we luckily do have the Americans with Disabilities Act, which was passed in the year 1990. So because of it, you know, attractions and cities are required to have some level of accessibility 
which is very helpful. I mean, I think in the U.S., places like, I would say Washington, D.C. is probably the most accessible city, in my opinion, um, because they have really, really accessible transportation. Every museum is accessible. I mean, it's really remarkable what they're doing in D.C. But um, And internationally, even though I was really surprised to learn that Helsinki, Finland, is uh, wheelchair accessible. So um, I visited there a few years ago. It was in the winter, so it was pretty cold. <laughs> but aside from that, they had uh, over 300 wheelchair accessible taxis. Um, and I never really expected for them to have that level of accessibility and that many taxis available for a wheelchair user. So that was really, really great to see. So I would definitely recommend Helsinki, London. They also have a ton of accessible cabs. Um, and Barcelona, Spain, I think it's one of the most accessible places in the world as well. Hey, that's good to know. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about the the on-the-ground on aspect of what happens when you travel. Um, do you usually travel with someone or do you, do you travel alone sometimes? Yeah, I always travel with someone um, just because I need, you know, help with um, transferring, getting like in and out of the wheelchair to the bed um, and different things throughout the day. So I do always travel with someone. And when you get to a place, what kind of things do you tend to seek out? Where, where do your instincts typically take you when you land in a, in a destination like Helsinki or London? Uh, so, I mean, I really, you know, try to always get a hotel in a, like a central location so that, you know, it's pretty easy to roll around and will everywhere um, within the central area anyway. Um, so, I mean, I really like doing, you know, the typical touristy things, I guess, starting out and then just kind of, you know, seeing where that leads me. So once I get there, maybe I'll talk to a local and they might, you know, recommend to go somewhere different. And so I'll follow their recommendation um, and also, you know, even try to talk to other wheelchair users within that destination just to come to see what they recommend. So, again, places, you know, like that Accessible Travel Club on Facebook is another great way to, you know, meet locals that actually do use a wheelchair and uh, see what they recommend that is accessible. There's a lot of, thing, a lot of things that, that for years travelers to a place like, say, Europe – will dream about like the the picturesque cobblestone alleys or the beautiful white sand beaches but i'm i'd re- i'd reckon that cobblestones and beaches are a little bit of a of a challenge for you so what kind of what kind of limitations do you have in, in terms of places you can go or or assistance you might need uh in popular tourist places yeah so cobblestones they are probably my biggest enemy um in europe anyway so uh I'm a big, big fan of Europe, and I mean, it's probably my favorite place to travel to in the world, but uh, cobblestones can definitely be rough in a wheelchair, Uh, so I've been to, I think probably the worst cobblestone I've ever experienced was in uh, Estonia, Um, so in the old town of Tallinn, Estonia, it's pretty rough, but there was an accessible tour company in Estonia um, called Saku Travel. And they actually offer wheelchair accessible tours. So they have like an adapted van and they know kind of what the accessible routes to take to avoid a lot of the cobblestones. So that's very, very helpful. And as far as like beaches go, there are actually a good bit of accessible beaches all around the world. So in Barcelona, um, I think they have probably what I would consider the most accessible beaches in the world because they do have the beach wheelchairs and, uh, you know, accessible changing rooms and 
all of the amenities that you could possibly imagine, but also in the U.S., um, all of the, a lot of the beaches in Florida and California, um, Wilmington, North Carolina, they have uh, beach wheelchairs as well. And some of them are free, but sometimes you got to pay a per day rate, but it really just depends on the destination. So uh, luckily beaches are becoming more accessible than they were like 20 years ago. Um, so when I was younger, uh, you know, I really was not able to visit a beach independently. And then my mom would actually have to, you know, like carry me down the beach and, there was really no such thing as a beach wheelchair back in like the mid nineties. So luckily now they are becoming a lot more prevalent around the world. I noticed that you had an, a recent article on your blog about volunteering in other countries. I think Northern Ireland was that specifically, and that's sort of, that's a classic alternative activity for people. So what kinds of, um, for lack of a better word, non-tourist or non-traditional travel activities have you sought out on the road that are accessible for someone like you who's traveling in a wheelchair? Yeah, so I mean, I think uh, like non-traditional activities maybe. Um, I mean, I'm always a big fan of adventurous activities. Um, so things that maybe you would think are possibly not wheelchair accessible, sometimes they can be. So uh, I've gone to... Um, like Catalonia, Spain, and over the Negev Desert in Israel, and went hot air ballooning. I've ridden a camel in Morocco. Um, and I mean, I think like experiences like that are really unique, and it kind of also shows, you know, people that uh, anything is possible. You know, if you want to do something bad enough, then you usually can. So I'm always a big fan of adventure. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm curious too about. Worst case scenarios. I think a lot of people don't travel because they have worst case scenarios. And and you've been around the world. You've been to most of the continents in the world. Are there any misadventures or times where you just really wondered whether you're doing the the right thing as a traveler? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely had some uh, crazy experiences while traveling. Um, so I, probably the craziest one was a couple of years ago when I went to South Africa and um, we were going to meet this hippo named Jessica. And uh, she is like, it's a really odd story. Um, her name's Jessica and she was found by humans when she was like a baby hippo and they pretty much raised her as their child. Um, and so we uh, went to meet her and I was given a sweet potato to feed her. And so she reached up with her mouth and was trying to get the potato from me, but it was kind of taking a little while for me to reach over and give it to her because I couldn't reach her very well. And so she got a little agitated that it was taking so long and she lunged up out of the water and grabbed the entire like side of my wheelchair with her massive teeth and started pulling me into the water. So it, I like blacked out. I can hardly remember it. It was completely terrifying. Uh, but luckily, her human dad came over and told her to stop. And so she uh, luckily stopped and let go of me. Um, so I didn't become, you know, just Jessica's lunch that day. Uh, but it was very, very scary. And that kind of taught me, you know, that uh, you, you can't really plan out everything. And sometimes, you know, the unexpected is going to happen. And you do have to be careful, I mean, when you travel to some degree. So... Um, while I do love adventure, that was definitely an activity that I would rather not have again. Yeah, <laughs> hippos kind of have a reputation in Africa. It feels like you could you could have a whole anthology of hippo-oriented travel stories because, oh, yeah. <laughs> as cute as they look, they can be they can be surprisingly dangerous. 
Yeah, I think they uh, they like kill more people within Africa than any other animal. So uh, when they first told me that, you know, before I met her, I didn't really believe it and I thought they were kidding. But then that happened and I could easily see why. So, yeah, it was terrifying. Well, I think part of it is because you let your guard down. I mean, you probably wouldn't be so chill around a crocodile, right? Right. Well, I don't know. I went to uh, I've actually gone zip lining over a. Uh, a, a pond full of crocodiles at a gator land in Florida. I've done it twice this year already. So it's a pretty wild experience again and quite the adventure. But uh, there are a few hundred gators in a little pond down below and you can go zip lining over them. And it's actually really accessible. So uh, it's another really cool experience that I never thought I would really be able to do. But uh, luckily, you know, it happened. What are some other things that are under the umbrella of accessible travel, but are also under the umbrella of adventure travel? Like it never occurred to me that a zip line would be one, but that makes sense. Um, are there other sort of classic adventure type activities that you've uh, managed to do over the years? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, things like snow skiing, there are a lot of uh, snow skiing clinics that specialize in accessibility. Um, and so, I've actually not done that yet, but I'm really, really hoping to this upcoming winter. And I have gone uh, water skiing before. Um, and so every year in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and they also do it in a lot of other locations around the U.S., they have an adaptive water skiing day. So uh, anyone with a disability can go water skiing and get out on the water, and it's a lot of fun. Um, and they only do it one day a year, but um, it is a lot of fun. And I've only done it one time uh but, you know, maybe I'll do it again one day. Awesome. Awesome. Plenty to look forward to, it sounds like. Um, you've sort of become a member of the travel media um, in that you have a blog, Curb Free with Corey Lee, that you uh, post your own resources to. And you also do public speaking. I think you were speaking at TravelCon last year when I was speaking at TravelCon. So how did your blog come about? What was your inspiration for it? And what do you use it for? And how has it deepened your relationship with travel? Yeah, so I started the blog back in December of 2013 because I was researching a trip to Australia and I started noticing as I was researching that there really wasn't a lot of accessibility information online when it came to travel within Australia or really any destination around the world hardly. So there were only like one or two other websites at the time. And I thought, you know, if I could create a website where I could put, you know, everything that I've found about traveling, all of my tips and resources and information, then hopefully that would help, you know, other wheelchair users get out there and see more of the world. So that's kind of where the idea was born. And then um, over the past five and a half years, it's definitely um, grown a lot and been a really fun ride. So now I do accessible group tours annually. So my followers can join me in different destinations. We went to Morocco in 2018. We went to Iceland just a couple months ago. And next year I'm doing three group tours in Costa Rica. Um, so uh, that's something that, you know, I never saw my blog getting big enough to actually, you know, do group tours with my followers. But I'm absolutely thrilled that people have really, you know, um, liked it and really want to travel with me and became more aware of what's accessible around the world. So it's really, really rewarding whenever I get a message from someone, you know, saying that they were now inspired to visit India because I went there, wherever the destination may be. Do you have a sense for, for how big your, your audience is? 
Yeah, so uh, on social media, I have about 60,000 followers across like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and I just recently got into Pinterest, so um, just only a little over 1,000 on there. But I'm trying to get better at Pinterest, but I'm still having a bit of a struggle with it. <laughs> okay. So you so you took the plunge and became a traveler, and then you took the plunge and became a travel blogger. Um, do you have any favorite experiences that have happened as a travel blogger or any doors that have opened in addition to these tours uh, that you hadn't expected to happen? Yeah, so um, I mean, I always you know, try to do some freelance writing, and I think that um, really the first big, big publication that I was featured in was the Los Angeles Times, and uh, that was about a year after I started blogging and I started doing like, public speaking then also. And so that was a really, really big moment for me um, to see, you know, how far accessibility can go and how big the audience is. So people with disabilities, they actually spend over $17 billion on, just on travel per year. So, um, I mean, it's a really a huge market that different destinations don't necessarily think of possibly. But um, I'm really trying to, you know, get the word out there whenever I do speeches and really show them, you know, the audience that they're missing out on if they're not putting accessibility information on their websites or trying to promote it. Um, so I think that's um, something that I really want to keep doing in the future, the speaking and trying to, you know, relay how big the market is for accessible travel. Yeah, you know, I, I guess it's one thing to be sort of an activist for those sorts of issues, but the oftentimes the greatest Exhibit A that you can bring forward is the economic impact of these types of activities. You know that yeah. you're get, these destinations are going to be sacrificing a lot of great business if they don't uh, accommodate people who have certain accessibility issues. I'm, I'm curious, do you is this your full time job now? Or are you a, a full time travel guy? Yeah, it is a uh, full time. Yeah, so uh, I um, really, you know, after I started the blog, I kind of gave myself a year to try to, you know, start making some money from it and try to get it off the ground. And I thought, you know, at the end of that year, if it was successful, then I would keep at it and keep going. And if, you know, at the end of the year, if I wasn't making any money and it was just kind of not going anywhere, then I would give it up and pursue a different career because I did uh, get a degree in marketing in college. Um, so I thought maybe I would go work at like an advertising firm or do something along that route. But luckily, at the end of that first year, you know, um, I was doing some speeches and featured in some bigger publications, and it was getting off the ground pretty good. So uh, I decided to stick with it, and it's been a, a fun journey ever since. Awesome. So I guess one one last question for you. You keeping in mind that some of the listeners might have mobility issues themselves, and and some might just be a little bit intimidated by travel for no good reason. What is Given your years on the road, your advice to someone who's dreaming of travel, whether or not they uh, have to do it in a wheelchair, what what would you, what kind of wisdom would you deliver? Yeah, uh, I would I always say to just feel the fear and go for it. So, uh, I mean, before any trip, I'm always kind of hesitant about going um, because I mean, I I do still worry about you know flying and actually getting there and will it really be as accessible as it said, it would be online. Um, and so, I mean, that's a constant worry whenever I travel, whether it's domestically or internationally. Uh, but I mean, I really just have to go for it and come to push my boundaries and get out of my comfort zone. And, and I found that when I do that, 
that I really have the best experiences. Um, so I would really encourage anyone listening to just, you know, give it a try, start smaller. If you're in a wheelchair, then try like a weekend, get away only a couple hours away and just see how it goes. You'll definitely learn a lot about what it's like to travel, even if you don't go that far. And then you can work your way up to the bigger trips. Uh, but yeah, just feel the fear and go for it, I guess. All right. I include links to Corey's blog and other resources in the show notes, which I'll talk about more in a second. But for now, I wanted to get the perspective of Zachary York, a Deviate listener who's traveled to 15 countries around the world despite having to use forearm crutches to get around. Here he is. One fun thing about talking to you is that you are a podcast listener and you emailed me quite a while ago talking about mobility and travel and and how you have mobility challenges, but you still do a lot of travel. So just for our our listeners know, what kind of mobility challenges do you have and what kind of travel do you do? So I walk with forearm crutches and I like to think of myself as a fairly active uh, backpacker or vagabonder, I guess. Uh, How often do you travel? Due to medical uh, complications. I haven't been able to get out for a while, but I traveled fairly heavily for about five years. Wow, five years! And and so with forearm crutches, you traveled for five years. Well, I, I wasn't traveling nonstop for five years. I was. I uh, toured Europe with my best friend in, in uh, 2012. Then took an internship in Beijing, China in 2014. And then I was employed in rural Thailand. What kind of challenges did you find yourself having or was it was it more or less not that difficult once you figured things out? Once I, once I figured things out, it, that was the, the biggest hurdle. I mean, in... Everywhere I've gone, I I have experienced mobility issues. But once I sort of get the lay of the land, I have um, I have been able to overcome those obstacles. Okay, well, let's talk about how this works a little bit. So, how do you cho- choose where you're going to go, or are mobility issues not even an issue? Do you just go there and figure things out when you arrive? Pretty much the pretty much the the second one. I I don't let my mobility issues dictate where I will go. Okay, uh, how many how many countries in the world have you been? Fourteen or fifteen, I think. Okay, and and how as a vagabonder, how independent can you be? Do you can you go solo, or do you usually need a a, a friend to travel with? I can go solo, but uh, I sort of like to have a friend just to be able to share the experience. Are there some places that you found a little bit easier than others in the world and some that you found a little bit more difficult uh, than other places in the world? I I think uh, Western Europe, specifically Italy, because I I speak Italian fluently. Hmm. And on the harder side, it was rural Thailand because it was it was pretty rural and we're, we're talking we're talking we're talking almost jungle rule <laughs> yeah 
And so did that create challenge challenges for you physically or just logistically? Well, the, well, the physics sort of transferred into into the logistics. I was employed over in Thailand as a teacher of English as a foreign language. And so, you know, just doing my day-to-day chores, like going to the grocery store, I had to... I had to traverse a a, a, a rice field and uh, walk through a little bit of jungle to get there. Huh. Oh, what was it like interacting with students? Um, how did they take you as someone who got around with forearm crutches? It, it was wild, man. Um, they didn't know what to think of me. They all wanted to try my crutches on. <laughs> did you let them? Oh, of course. Now, when I think of Thailand, I think of things like jungles, but I also think of of beaches. Um, Are there certain landscapes or certain activities in the outdoors that are compromised by your forearm crutches, or do you make do however you can? I would say beaches. I mean, non-wet beaches are really tough, but I, I have gone out onto the beach I mean, I live in San Diego, for, for goodness sake. So it's kind of obligatory that I visit the beach. And But in, in high school, I actually, I actually designed my senior project around climbing one of the tallest mountains in the U.S., or one of the taller mountains, rather, Mount Whitney in California. Oh, yeah. And so I climbed that mountain to raise money and awareness for pediatric brain cancer research. And how was that experience? Was that were you a teenager then? I I was, yeah. That was that was wild because I, I got to train with this amazing with with amazing trainers and coaches, and then I got to do this amazing project. That benefited benefited the doctor who who has saved my life three times. And you know, you've traveled to more countries than your average American has traveled. And so I'm curious, one, how did climbing Mount Whitney inform your later travels and the challenges therein? And what kinds of places and activities do you seek out when you travel? So my my Whitney project that really enforced on me just being able to plan through a a monumental project or a monumental task like that so being looking at all of the little elements that could trip me up and training for them and uh the second one when i go when i travel i seek out normal things i guess i'm don't really get caught up in the touristy things much. I, I really like to I really like to experience the landscape and be be out in it and and really show people that just because of a disability it does not mean you're you are limited to staying in one place. 
This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including links to Corey's wheelchair-friendly travel website, Curb Free with Corey Lee, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Cedar Van Tassel does the theme music. Jan Futterman does the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts. Mm-hmm.